0: Hello, this is State of the 38th. I'm your host, Alex Weissman, here at the City and County Building with Councilwoman Mary Beth Sussman. Say hello.
1: uh, Good good morning, or good afternoon, I'm sorry. Uh, It's (laughs)
0: fine. They they don't know what time it is, so. (laughs) That's
1: that's right.
0: (laughs) So you, after college, you went to the Harvard Kennedy School, right?
1: Um, Actually, after undergrad, I went to graduate school at University of Denver, but I did go to the Harvard um, Kennedy School for just a summer program and leadership.
0: So, from a young age, you obviously had an inclination towards politics. What do you think pushed you towards public service?
1: Well, actually, I didn't. Uh, I didn't do public service until about six years ago. That is elected public service. But I always. Uh, did civic engagement on committees and things having to do with the city as my hobby. Um, I was actually in higher education, but I loved uh, just being a part of decisions that were made about the city. And I I decided that when I retired that what I would like to do is to run for office to really work on stewardship of the city.
0: That's awesome. So, in your higher education experience, what lessons do you learn did you learn that you think helped you out in your career day?
1: Well, higher education is a lot about you know giving people access to you know every opportunity that they they can and you also you're working in um, in trying to teach people the things that they they need to do to make a uh, make a good life and understand life and it, there's a lot about uh, the things we do in taking care of the city that are very similar to uh what we were doing in higher education,
0: do you wish you had gotten involved in public service earlier or
1: no, it was a good time it was a it was a very good time i had because I had done so so many things beforehand, I kind of started in about nineteen uh, it's reveal how old i am but about <laughs> nineteen eighty eight uh getting involved in p t a and things like that and and getting involved in the Denver Public Schools bond project and then getting involved in Lowry and the, you know when it was converting from a military base and then I was asked to be on the planning board and I loved being on the planning board and and so I just thought this is something that I would love to do. I'm a I'm a military brat. Oh really? And yes, I came here about 45 years ago to Denver to go to graduate school. Um, I tell people I got here as fast as I could. And um, uh, and I never had, when a military brat is asked, you know, where's your hometown, you have no answer. You have, you, know, you think up one or something. But this, for the first time, I, I have now a hometown, and I feel like a, like a convert to a religion. This is my town, and, and uh, it has been wonderful to live here and to help take care of it.
0: Yeah, that's great. So what do you think the most important part of local politics is, and what do you think it is that we need to fix most when it comes to getting people involved?
1: Wow, that's a great question. Um, What's most important? What I love about local politics is city politics are nonpartisan. You don't run on a on a party platform. You don't you don't get monetary support from parties because, as they say, there's no Republican way to plow the streets nor a Democrat way to pick up the trash. Um, local politics is so face to face. It's so, it's it's getting to know your constituents personally and understanding what their uh, very very their their sort of daily needs are. <coughs> Excuse me if uh if your trash hasn't been picked up i you can call your city council person and i can call the solid waste and say hey mr so-and-so at such and such address didn't have his trash picked up today you you can local politics we can make a decision on monday that will affect people on friday um in state politics and federal politics we don't we don't experience the immediate effect of what city politics can do. So that's why I like it. It's very personal. It's very face to face, and it's very uh, I don't know. You can you can get things done.
0: I'd imagine with <coughs> me. no, that's fine. Not...
1: <coughs> I do need water. Okay, go on.
0: I'd imagine with most of the face to face interaction with your constituents, it's a lot of people that are. Angry at the city. How do you interact with disgruntled citizens and keep your promises to them? Uh,
1: not always easy, but you know you have to listen to the angry and the and the happy ones. Um, and certainly, it's it's true that when you're an elected person, you're more likely to hear from the people who are too happy about things, because if a person is happy about something, they don't necessarily feel like they need to talk to their elected representative. But that's that's part of the job. And if there are things that are going wrong um, um, in the city that we can help fix, I mean, that's part of the job, so I understand that. Um, and, you know, you got to, you have to hear what everybody is, is thinking um, about what the decisions that you're going to be making, because you represent—I represent, I represent um, District 5, about 55,000 people, and I have to listen to—you know, I want to listen to, you know, what, what's important to them. Although, and you also need to sort of adopt a city-wide view, too. Did, did you want me to talk about how the, how, the, how it's organized?
0: Yeah, sure, if you wanna elaborate on how city council operates, I'm sure a lot of our listeners don't know, so. Right.
1: Well, the city, like our federal government almost, has an executive branch, a legislative branch, and a judicial branch. And the mayor is the executive branch, this uh, city council is the legislative branch. We make the laws and the ordinances and the regulations and things like that. Uh, we have a very strong mayor form of government and so the, all of the all of the city almost all of the city workers work for the mayor. Um, we don't they don't they don't work for us. So we make the laws, but we also the city council, is the liaison of the representatives to the city employees and the city agencies. Um, You can call directly the city agencies, but if you need support or you need help, your councilwoman or councilman can help you um, interact with the city. Um, And that's a a great deal of what we do. Uh, There's 13 of us. Uh, there's There's 11 districts and there's a councilman for every district of those 11, and then there are two council people who are at large, so they cover the whole city. And we uh, have council meetings on Monday nights. We have committee meetings during the week where we discuss the various bills that are coming forward to us, and then we vote on them on Monday nights. Um, and, of course, there's lots of, lots of work being done during the week on um, what is coming up
0: yeah so what sort of laws does city council pass because i know there's different jurisdictions for the different levels of government
1: right um the, the probably the primary r- uh, bills that we pass have to do with land use um that is how the land is going to be zoned whether you can rezone it what kind of building are do you want to put there where should the uh how how can the roads be configured the predominant thing is, that we do is land use and how and that's a very important to people as you can imagine in a, in our neighborhoods um is if there's going to be new building going on what is the kind of building that can go there the other thing that we do um, a, a lot is we have authority over the budget um we have we we don't have the ultimate authority over the budget that the the mayor does have ultimate authority over the budget, but the city council makes decisions about what its priorities are for spending uh, city dollars, and we approve the budget um, of the mayor. And and then any contract that comes that is of half a million dollars or more has to come through and get the approval of the city council. So when we're contracting for road paving and contracting for expenditures out at DIA, all the contracts that a city needs to let, if they're over five hundred thousand, the city council approves them. We also um approve things like we recently did for a a, a, a budget um, expenditure for affordable housing. it's a very big issue here in um, in Denver that we're losing a lot of affordable housing, and so we just approved a, uh, a budget item to spend some serious dollars on building um, affordable housing. I'm very interested in um, transit and multimodal, it's called multimodal transportation. Um, because I tell people that in my district the the top 3 issues of my constituents it's traffic traffic and traffic um, a lot of I have a lot of established old neighborhoods you know that were built in the 30s and 40s and 50s and the, the, we're getting so many new people in Denver a thousand a month uh, new people moving to the city and they're bringing cars and our streets are getting slowly getting more clogged and more clogged and just trying to find ways that we can and create better transit that will that will be easy and convenient and something that people will might choose sometimes over their cars so that we can you know make the best use of our streets
0: yeah that's great so what role do you see technology playing in the transportation policy that the city is?
1: Great great question. I think technology is gonna play a huge role in this. I mean if you when you really follow what what's happening in transportation and technology, it's just it's not just autonomous cars. You know, there's autonomous transit. We already have in Denver a bus that it has no driver. Um, out by the airport, there is a, a large business called Panasonic, and they have a, a autonomous bus that picks you up for their employees from the light rail station, drops them off, and they get in a bus that has no driver wow. and drives them to Panasonic. We already have had a freight truck, its nickname is Ollie, go from Colorado Springs to Fort Collins on I-25 without a driver carrying freight. I think we're going to see that kind of thing uh, sooner than we think. There are going to be probably autonomous cars, uh, driverless cars. That might that might be a while, but I'm not sure that autonomous cars are going to reduce the clogging of our roadways if, if there's still only one rider in the in the car, um, it might reduce our need for parking places because you can, you know, have your autonomous car come pick you up at your house and you drop you off at work and tell it to go park itself, okay? Or it can go pick up somebody else and take them, you know? So it'll be interesting because we won't need parking places right by our uh, homes or our businesses. It can park anywhere.
0: Yeah. That'd be great. I had to park a block away. Yeah. Just
1: to be here, um, but you know more than that. You know, it's conceivable that we could have gondolas. They now have forty passenger gondolas um, that you can imagine. I mean, it's kind of wild. And a gondola going up Colorado Boulevard. You get on it at one end, and you can take it all the way.
0: Be better than the traffic. That's
1: right. <laughs> and you know, a gondola up to the ski areas would be kind of cool if we you know so we don't wouldn't even need and they have other kinds of elevated um, ways to get along um, you know the techno technology is going to be very interesting I saw the other day a passenger capable drone where a guy was riding in a drone wow and yeah can you imagine and oh you my could gosh. You just individually it's not you know it's like the jet pack that we saw in the old um, sci-fi movies but Yep. I mean, it's just a, you know, sort of a test thing, but imagine that. we could imagine that traffic in the air, my goodness gracious, if we all were on drones.
0: Yeah, I just saw in the news the other day that Ann Arbor, Michigan, now has a new uh, system with their traffic lights where they monitor the traffic and are able to anticipate flows easier. Mm -hmm. So there's just so many applications for... and we're and we're going to do
1: that that too i mean we already do have some of those smart uh lights that can change by they can see what's coming and and alter the Uh, the lights
0: because every day (laughs) getting to school is Uh a little bit rough
1: holly and leedsdale yes that is quite i know is it holly and leedsdale or holly and alameda
0: well holly and alameda is never as bad for me i have to turn left to get to george
1: oh oh yeah of course you do that's right so Yes, um, maybe some—they they actually did just put in a whole new system at Holly and Alameda that should be able to um, uh, measure traffic, but uh, they haven't done that at Leedsdale yet.
0: Yeah. So what role do you see the sharing economy with companies like Uber and even Airbnb? What sort of role do you think they'll play in Denver's development?
1: You know, and- I'm—, I'm, a, I'm I'm on a panel with them in Chicago in a couple of weeks, and I, they asked us to send them questions. And I asked Uber and, and um, Airbnb, I said, "What business do you think is going to put you out of business?" Because the pace at which businesses are arising and using technology, it's hard even to predict, how, you know, whether your particular application is going to last very long. Um, of course, you know uber great and lyft we have uber and lyft here we have airbnb we have uh, not only do we have people sh- you know sort of sharing their homes or renting out their homes i always say sharing economy isn't really about sharing because it always costs money yeah yeah <laughs> although they do now you know you can share tools um uh what was it somebody was saying that they they um you know a drill um, that you might have people you can share a drill because if you own a drill the average amount of time you will spend using that drill in the lifetime of the drill is 13 minutes oh my gosh yes and so people might start thinking what's the point of buying a drill if I can just put up online does anybody have a drill and then you can share the drill you can share a Persian rug they have sites for sharing or art or you know what? maybe I just need a Persian rug for some of the time, but I don't need a Persian rug all of the time. Um, and uh, they're just there's so many things coming down the pipe they're already here. I mean the, the number of sharing economy businesses is phenomenal, I don't know what's going to what's gonna surpass them. Although there is a thing I've just encountered called the circular economy, where we make all of our products in pieces. And if a piece of the product goes awry, you can can swap out that piece. So that if every single, like a chair, if your chair if the roller falls off of course you can do this but if the legs fall off you can the chair has been made modularly so you can just go by the other the other piece and you the, the chair can be redone constantly it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be thrown out and anything so it's very interesting bicycles could be made in modularly and so you wouldn't just throw away a bicycle that doesn't work you just swap it out for another piece so that's that's a very interesting thing that's coming
0: yeah what role do you think that the city should play in the sharing economy at all do you think that the city should regulate companies like uber and airbnb i do
1: and we do we do we do regulate them and um we do regulate airbnb we just started regulating airbnb or the you know the Um, Home sharing, short-term rentals—it's called. We do regulate Uber. We were Colorado was the first to regulate the um, ride-sharing, Uber and Lyft, Um, and they have made rules about having insurance and having background checks and things for safety. Um, And then, and the short-term rentals, we've required people that you you can only do a short-term rental if it's your primary residence. Uh, that is, you can't have a second and third home that you rent out. It has to be a primary residence or a room in your residence. You have to have a license, and you have to pay lodgers tax. Uh, um, uh, it, people will usually charge the the renter for the lodgers tax. Yeah. So, um, and you have to attest that you have a, a CO2 um, um, recognizer, uh, and they. Fire, um, what was I say? Smoke detectors, CO two de- detectors, um, fire extinguisher. You have to attest that you have that. That you have permission from your landlord if you don't own the house. And and, and we have uh, people have st- we started in first of January with the hard enforcement, and we have about oh about 45—46 percent of the people are comply have complied, and that is twice the number of the next highest city for compliance, which San Francisco, which has about 23% 23 compliance.
0: Why do you think the compliance numbers are so So, low for those requirements? I mean, and so high in Denver as opposed to other cities. I think
1: one of the biggest reasons why is that we have the very first system where you can apply for that both of the license, the tax license and your short-term rental license online, completely online so you don't have to come down to the city and county building to get your license in in those other in the other cities you generally have to go downtown and sometimes it takes two or three trips downtown and but this one you can you can get the license completely online
0: so moving backwards a little bit you okay. mentioned how fast denver was developing and a lot of people in denver and in your district have had problems with some buildings that have gone up how do you think about the balance between quality of life for residents that are already in the city and the benefits of the, the benefits that development brings?
1: Uh, that's a that's kind of a big question. Um, I think that we have to provide housing of all kinds, um, and the, there are places for density that are better than places for for not density. In in my district, um, I have neighborhoods like um, Hilltop and Cressmore and Montclair. We're never going to build those neighborhoods again in, in the, so close to the city. We might build them out in the suburbs, but we're never going to build them this close in the city. So just, we need to preserve them sort of historically. But at the same time, if we don't provide housing to people who are moving here, um, they will move to the suburbs, which increases our traffic problem. Sixty percent of the cars on our Denver roads are from the suburbs.
0: All those Stapleton people. <laughs>
1: well, that's not a suburb. Well, that's not a suburb. I that's guess that's right. So. No, it's all the it's the uh, people out in uh, Aurora and you know the. I used to live Lakewood.
0: in Stapleton. Oh, so you I did? Make fun of it a little bit.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, um, so we do need to. The one of the best ways to help. Build transit use is to build density, to to, yeah. and also to build affordable housing is, uh, is to build density, and so, we do need to sort of, um, think about how we can, accommodate the the new the new people that are moving in, but still preserve the historic character of our neighborhoods. So. Um, it's very important to me because we won't we won't be building them again this close to the city.
0: So when you talk about affordable housing, what types of affordable housing are you talking about? Do you mean Section Eight or low income housing tax credit?
1: Well, what we usually do when we're building affordable housing, you you take what's the median income, um, the income that half the people have more of and half the people have lower than. And then you you build it. It's usually an um, uh, apartment unit this, these days um, where you decide how many units you're going to build at what percent of the of the median income so that we'll, we have um, affordable housing that has that is affordable for people who have made only 30% of the median income or all the way up to people who make hundred uh, percent of the median income because it's difficult for somebody in the median income to afford a house in Denver and sometimes even more than that we have affordable housing that has a hundred and fifty percent of the median income I think the median income is around forty two, forty five thousand forty five thousand dollars here for Um, for an individual and you know the average cost of a house is something like three or four hundred thousand yeah they are not it's just not affordable at all so we when we build affordable housing we try to we build it at all different levels of income and i think this is really important that we do this because we're talking about, you know, the school teachers and the um, nurses that we have and the policemen and firemen, and we do want them to be able to live in the city. These are people of average income, and they can't afford uh, housing. Now, we um, we do also sometimes build housing for the homeless, um, usually called transitional housing, to help people get back on their feet if they're homeless, and certainly we need to build some of that too. And... Um, when we do build affordable housing, we we like to have a, a difference in, you know, we'd like to integrate, people you know market rate housing with affordable housing so that you don't have, all the affordable housing in one neighborhood like we used to yeah. have long long ago. That's not good. That doesn't that doesn't no, help not at all. No.
0: So, who is paying for the affordable housing? Because I know the federal government has some programs right. my dad's actually an affordable housing lender um, oh so, yes. so, yeah uh-huh. um so what so are is the city building the buildings and uh, uh,
1: in uh, yes we have denver housing authority which receives a lot of its money from the federal government it's very sad to hear that the new, new administration may be cutting the funds of HUD.
0: Yeah, by about 300 million or, or something?
1: I heard like billion.
0: Oh, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, or,
1: t- or several billion. And maybe like, Ben
0: Carson talked him down.
1: <laughs> maybe I hadn't seen the news lately. So a lot of the funding comes from the federal government. Um, but we have uh, uh, put aside a mill levy that we had already uh, had asked the. Um, community for out of the out of Denver's general fund um, to also build um, some affordable housing so DHA is a Denver a Denver agency but um, Denver city proper also will be building affordable housing and then we, we we try to get tax credits for private developers we have a number of private developers who develop. Affordable housing. We're building some in my district on the the new Ninth and Colorado project, a big um, affordable housing project.
0: So you talked a little bit about transitional housing. How how beneficial do you think that'll be? I know it worked really well in Salt Lake City. They now have like a homeless population of basically none. I know
1: they had got a huge uh, uh, contribution from a private. Um, contributor i think um yes to uh, having transitional housing there's a there's a a um campaign called um housing first and really to address the the woes of homelessness you have to get somebody in a stable home environment first so we are trying to build those as much as possible we have several of those on Lowry. When we uh, reconvert, converted Lowry from a military base, there was a lot of uh, housing that was very appropriate for transitional housing. And we have we have some we have some very, very nice housing for um, the homeless people to get back on their feet. And I think we need to build some more of that. Because most of our homeless are people who have just run into um, some or many of our homeless—I don't know if the most—you know, just run into some really bad luck, you know, a, a, an illness that has bankrupted them, or a divorce, or loss of job, and just help have to help these people get back on their feet. And of course, we have homeless with mental health issues, and we and, and so we, we rely on our mental health um, providers to help us with that, too.
0: So, also, playing off what you said a little bit earlier, you work with the Denver Housing Authority, you're sort of a liaison through your constituents Mm -hmm. to bureaucracies, and a lot of times bureaucracy gets a really bad name in the public. To what extent do you agree that the, or to what extent do you find that bureaucracy can be inefficient, or are there things that we can do to make it more efficient? Do you see it as fine as it is?
1: Oh, I th- that's that's an age-old uh, discussion that um, bureaucracies are—they uh, they, they tend—you know, you have to you go from the bottom to the top and then back to the bottom again. You know, it has to go through so many layers of discussion in order to get anything done. It's sort of the nature of the bureaucracy. And bureaucracies tend to uh, uh, reproduce themselves, like amoeba. Um, And uh, you have to be careful. Uh, um, I spent a lot of time building online universities uh, when I was in higher ed, and the big thing was how many things does this—well, to start off with, I'll give you an example. We discovered that students had to do forty—had forty-three steps to take before they ever saw a teacher in a classroom. At a, at a college Wow. forty three steps. Well, when you're trying to get people to register online, you just don't want them to have to and they'd have to go to off you know office to office to office. So you had to bring all of those things into one place for students to be able to register and choose their courses and we could, and we had to, we had to talk to the registrars and the advisors and the counselors and why do you do it this way? Why do you do it that way? And we got it down to nine steps from 43. Wow. So in here in the city, we have a thing called peak performance that they go into uh, offices and look at, at the processes that the offices take and do pretty much the same thing. Like, why do you have this requirement? Why do you have this requirement? Why does it have to go through this in order to try to streamline Um, office processes and we're making some headway to because a lot of times in a bureaucracy you'll get the answer well why do you do it well you always have done it this way and if you don't have a good reason for doing it that way then stop doing it so (laughs) um so we're we're working on those processes although in in a public environment you have to always be careful that you don't that that you're doing things for the good of all um and people are going to disagree with you um and because people have different points of view about what is good for all
0: yeah so you serve some of the more wealthy neighborhoods in denver Mm -hmm. how do you manage with your other city council members to prioritize different neighborhoods how do you choose policies that represent your constituents needs but also represent the needs of people who might be in worse socioeconomic statuses well
1: you know we all need to all of us need to sort of take a city wide view and so when there are uh, needs socioeconomic needs I'm I'm very supportive, because if we want to have all of Denver be successful. And yes, while I do have one of the wealthier, higher-income districts, I also have a portion of my district, like East Colfax, um, that has has as serious in issues as you might find in any other neighborhood with issues. So um, I, I have those to consider and work on, and I am working on them. Um, you just you do want to you you fight for your own district, but my district doesn't always have as many needs as many of the other districts do, and so you just need to understand that you help all of the districts thrive if you can, and and then I I, I pout and I moan about East Colfax and say I but I need some stuff for East Colfax and the neighborhoods over there, so. I'm working on that.
0: So you mentioned earlier that city council isn't very, isn't partisan at all. You don't run with a platform. Right. So is... Oh, you
1: run with a platform. Or, I mean,
0: you don't run with a party, I'm with sorry. With a party, I right. misspoke. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that that is a better solution for cooperating? Do you think that it makes it easier to function? Yes,
1: you have such good questions. Thank you. It is so much easier to work without a party platform or a party or be beholden to a party because you can look at every issue. Well, And so many of our issues just aren't opinion. They are like, yes, the trash needs picking up. It's not like, well, I don't think the trash needs to be picked up. Oh, I do think the trash needs to be picked up. The trash needs to be picked up. So, and so many of our issues are like that. Um, you know i need i think we need a stoplight at this corner well i think we don't need a stoplight well we either do or we don't it's 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 empirical (laughs) you know we either do or we don't and you have count the traffic and you see what's needed and and then there's formulas for working on it and we the there's a lot of camaraderie on the council um but we're to me we're a lot like brothers and sisters that we will we will fight vehemently, but in the end, we respect each other and you know what our concerns are. We don't all, all agree on things, and certainly each of us is working for the betterment of our own district at the same time as working for the whole city. But um, there is a lot of camaraderie there about um, working together and seeing if we can't solve this problem.
0: So just a little bit more of a technical question for my listeners that don't know. 100% how the city operates. Where does the city get its money from? Does the state allocate the money to the city or does the city levy taxes itself? I assume this, it does. Both. Both? Uh-huh. You, okay. get,
1: you hit it on the head, yep. Um, we have uh, sales tax and we have property tax. Um, and the state also applies property tax to our properties. Um, most of the property tax goes to the uh, Denver Public Schools. Um, in Denver, our uh, property tax is a larger, largest portion of it. We live primarily on uh, sales tax and fees. We have uh, fees, you know, that you that you pay, stormwater fees and things like that, um, and and fines. Uh, we live on. We also the fines that people pay. We live on those. Um, most of our city budget, or what's called the general fund, goes to safety personnel police, fire, sheriff, um, first responders. Um, That's where almost half of the budget goes to, but, but yeah, we get it from sales tax and property tax.
0: All right, great. So these will be the last few questions. Thank you so much for your time. Sure. So this is something that I hope to ask all my listeners, assuming that I keep this going. What are you reading right now? What are you finding insightful at this time? Oh,
1: that's a great question. I am reading this book called Scarcity. Um, just started it, and it is about how we react in situations when there is not enough time or not enough resources and I'm just barely into it. It's fascinating that if we don't have very much time, we get much more productive.
0: Oh, I find that in school yes that's
1: right, and they will they have they do studies of meetings and it Say the meeting is an hour they people will spend the first half hour sort of opining and you know lofty thinking, and in the last fifteen minutes, they will get more done than they did in the first forty five. If you put a deadline on the meeting, they'll be very productive. well, and when resources are scarce, um, they people get really good at using them, and they also there's lots of focus um, on on. The, the scarcity. It's very, it's a fascinating book, but that's the one I'm reading.
0: So this is also a personal question, just being in your office. When did you meet President Obama? That's so cool.
1: Isn't that nice? Yes, he came here to visit in, in Denver, and I can't remember what year it was. I think it might have been about 2010. It was in his first uh, term, and he came to and gave a speech, and I got to meet him. I like that. That's my favorite. This is my second favorite, though. This is Magic Johnson.
0: Oh, that's great. With his
1: uh, elbow on my head. <laughs> John
0: Elway, all sorts of people. Yeah,
1: it's it's kind of fun.
0: Uh, yeah, my parents were at the 2008 convention. Actually, they they saw him speak. Really? Yeah. Oh, the
1: one that was here in yeah. Denver. Oh, how wonderful! Yeah. Uh,
0: and so this is another question related to state and city matters. Uh, what would you say to young people that are looking to get involved now about state and city politics oh
1: please do if you have got the time and the energy it would it would be so welcome to have um youth uh, the uh, younger people uh, um get involved we don't nearly have enough young voices at various committee meetings and things you can you can also you can start by, you know, whatever party you are, you know, go to the, go to the basic, find out when their meetings are. Usually the, the whatever house district you're in might have monthly meetings. Go and listen and see and get involved. Show up. Um, you know, whenever there's a community meeting, actually, if you show up enough, they'll make you the leader of it because sometimes that's the way in order you get a leader. You just keep showing up. Um, but there are, Uh, lots of community meetings going on all the time denvergov.org you can find all kinds of community meetings that are going on get on boards we have we have like lots of like 50 60 70 boards and commissions in the city and one of them is youth um but uh you know just boards that you might be interested in to understand a little bit more apply to be an intern in one of our offices. We, we hire inter- interns in the city, which is really fun. Or an intern at the state. Lots of opportunities.
0: All right, thank you so much for talking to me today.
1: You're very welcome. I enjoyed it immensely.